The Adventures of Tim Tim. Hello. (laughs) Wow. Hello, Ryan. Hey, and hello, everyone listening. Welcome to episode 122 of Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe where myself, Ryan McDuffie, and... Oh, myself, (laughs) Tim Aslan. (laughs) Tim's who, me? What? (laughs) Looking over your shoulder there. Yes, yes, myself, Ryan McDuffie, and yes, indeed, you, Tim Aslan. Every week we talk about what worked for us, what did not work for us, anything else we found interesting or, or noteworthy, in fact, about a horror film, one that we've been quested to see. I'll just put it that way, how about... Anything to add about what we're doing here, Tim? No. <laughs> <laughs> Great. You you know the drill. Come on. Yeah, yeah. It's, a hundred, it's episode 100 and whatever you said. 122. Jesus. Indeed. And uh, for 122, we are brought back to 1,932 is the year in which the film we reviewed is from. Mm-hmm. Vampire is the name of the game today. Hey, you know what? I just i I've been meaning to say this like many many episodes ago. It occurred to me that we never really like we just say the title and then that's it. I feel like we should say the title and at least who it was directed by and written by. Great, don't you? I it was directed by Carl Theodore Dreyer from a screenplay by. Christian Yule, probably. J-U-L. You may. And Carl. <laughs> Great. And do you, do, when you read the title of this film, Tim, how do you pronounce it? Oh, uh, you know, my brain says it's vampire. But it could also be vampire, is what I was Very well at. could be, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Although, you know, I took German. Uh, I don't know, vampire, vampire. I think... I don't know. It's V A M P Y R. Oh, uh, and with a uh, what do you, what do you call that? A subtitle? No, a uh, colon and then <laughs> more title. <laughs> Der Traum des Alan Gray, which means the dream of Alan Gray. And there are a whole bunch of other titles for this film, like it was you know recut, renamed for its for its U.S. release, for its that release, for its this release. Oh, I'm sure. But as it's known known now on its beautiful covers, it's vampire slash vampire no e at the end. And mm-hmm. yeah, as you said, directed by Carl Dreyer, who you may recognize as uh, the director of. From his 1928 film, The Passion of Joan of Arc, which is a big mm. uh, film in film history and film scholarly circles and all that jazz. I referenced it in my first short film. You had someone, um, a, a woman looking up with big eyes. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Yep. I basically vignetted in black and white a, like, you know, 
camera in front of a woman telling a story. There you go. I remember when I, we, <laughs> only time I watched Passion of Joan of Arc was in film school. And it's like, it was also an exercise in watching it completely silently, like without a score, I think they did. Or yeah. is that old and new? No, I think that's right. Anyway, I was pretty bored. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I get it too at the same time. And it, that was the thing with film school, Tim. It was like all these movies that I could love and think are great or whatever, just the context of being forced to watch it in a classroom setting just did Dude. not suit me. I would, anyway, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a, I'm a, I don't want to say I'm an atypical learner, but definitely like the structure that's sort of set up typically is not, was not suited for me. I'm like much more self-motivated. Well, did you, did your, was your class a big class or a small class? It was a bigger one that, one that I watched this, yeah, that film I think in. that's problematic too. Mine was a giant lecture. Yeah. It was like maybe, oh, I don't know. There's probably 200 people in that class. So you're in this large lecture. It wasn't even a, it wasn't even a classroom. It was like, um, it was like the annex of a building, like where they held, you know, like uh, luncheons and shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not conducive. Not at all. We had, we- and then I forgot to mention this when we did the thing, but that, that, when we did the thing from another world, that's the movie that I, I walked out of that class because of, because the professor, started saying he just was like saying stuff and that made no sense and so i raised my hand in this like 200 person room and i was like excuse me i i think that you you're saying one thing but i think you might mean this other thing can you clarify and he went flipped it out ballistic he was like don't raise your hand in here this isn't a question and answer class like what I said is what I said, and that's what I mean. And I just was like, okay, this dude's unhinged. So I just got up and left, and I, and I dropped the class. I was like, nah. That kind of approach to teaching makes it feel like it's not even about the teaching, but about the test at the end of the class. Like, as if you have to be yeah. so certain about like what you're saying, you know, that on the teacher's end, that that's all that well, matters. That that and that he seemed to, I think he, well, this is totally conjecture on my part, but that interaction made me feel like he wasn't there to teach us anything. He was there to like give an ego performance of him on a stage talking about how smart he was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like and and being questioned was unacceptable to him. I was like, dude, that's not why I'm at college. Wait, and <laughs> like, then and then you walked out? Oh yeah, I just picked up my bag and I was like, bye and left. <laughs> Like I'm not gonna get. It's just stupid. It's like, what are we doing here? Right. Like paying way too much money to go to a school, and that's the professor. Like it's not okay. I was. Um, so I just left. A lot. Of, I I would fall asleep instead of leaving for things like that. Like some. It was like <laughs> it was like this. Like something Fair. about being in a classroom. It was just the spell I was put under. I'd just be put right to sleep in the middle of the day. It doesn't matter how into the discussion yeah. I might be in theory. I just like would like like nod my head up because I'd wake up to my pen falling on my desk. Just <laughs> like oh. It's the it's the the cold hum of fluorescent lighting. Yeah. But then, I mean, all on my own outside of class. No, and there are plenty of classes. This was just specifically this one film theory class I was talking mm-hmm. about. But, like, plenty of classes were great. And uh, 
kind of re- regret it now, but at the same time, whatever. I did just so much film watching and research and reading outside of class on my own because we had this film library and Borders Books yeah. downtown and all this stuff. It was That's funny cool. for me. Um, what's the name of the school you went to again? Oh, God. Connecticut College. Great. Tiny. 1,600 people total. That's so think about that. In one class, there was like an eighth of the school was in one class. Wow. Or whatever. And that's that's not that's not how you do math, but <laughs> um whatever that would be. Two hundred out of sixteen hundred. Uh, okay, sixteen hundred. I thought you said six hundred. Oh no, sixteen hundred. Got it. So like like a medium sized high school. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it was double the size of my high school. Crazy. My high school had eight hundred people. Well. It was crazy. After about a year everybody knew everybody so like you know other than the incoming freshmen the other three years like n- you knew everybody mm-hmm. and they knew you <laughs> <laughs> and um in your film schooling or outside of film school had you heard of this film vampire vampire i have known of this film for a long time and Really, just because I, I, I tend to put like old silent, although it's not silent, but like old films of this era kind of get put lower on my priority list. I just never got around to it. Yeah, and then we started doing this, and so I assume I don't know which one of us put put it on there. I assume you did, but I don't know. I think it was on. It, I've seen this movie on list after list after list. Yeah. Some, so. And something about pulling them from the hat as we do, uh, and that there are submissions. I'm, I'm, I'm much more apt. I don't know. I have fun Me this too. way a lot more. <laughs> yeah, and I'm so excited Absolutely. for whatever we pull next. Always like just looking in what's this season of or batch of 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 entries in our hat. Anyway, I'm just excited for all to come. Yep, but we are still here for for Vampire. We got to talk about it, and we start with watching a trailer. But since it's a film from 1932, we couldn't really track down a trailer. So <laughs> to set the mood, nonetheless, we're gonna play. Well, for us, watch watch a clip uh, of the end of the film. That's maybe probably a, a famous sequence from it of um, mm. our hero. You could say being in some form being taken away uh, as a kind of live burial looking out of a coffin. But at least it's a little yeah. it's a little mood, although sparse, uh, it's a little mood and atmosphere to get us into it. So <laughs> you ready to watch yeah. that? Oh, yeah. All right, here we go. <laughs> I don't know what, which way to say it. <laughs> Vampire. some ringing church bells for you to get you in, get us all here in the mood for vampire year from 1932 yep it's crazy it is crazy tim tim what a movie so what a film what an experience it was 
all those things, indeed, Tim. Tim, what would you rate this film per our rating system? Would you tell yourself to avoid it, stream it, rent it, or buy it? You know, that's a tough one because I don't particularly want to see this movie again in any casual viewing sense. But from a, like, cinematic uh, educational standpoint, you should probably own it. Like, there's... There's a, I don't know where to begin. Just from the standpoint of like how to move a camera to get to have an effect, right? You know, an emotional effect. Why to move a camera? This is like the most crazy masterclass in that. And then to think that this was done before any of those like techniques or rules had been established blows my mind. Yeah. And so it's almost like if you want to. I feel like it's a buy for me. I think that it's a movie that I would need to own for that reason, mm-hmm. like as a reference. Because mm-hmm. it's crazy how, like, just right off the bat, I was like, whoa, 1932, there's, like, tracking shots and these weird camera moves and, like, a lot of, like, uh, multiple, what do you call that? Um, multiple access mo- camera moves. Which you just, I don't feel like you saw that back then. <laughs> I like, mean, it seems crazy. I just uh, watched M for the first time, and that's from about the same era. Uh-huh. And I was equally surprised by that of just like this really active camera. Like, oh yeah, they were experimenting Man, with those it, things. It kind of blew my mind. So, I, yeah, I'm going to say it's a buy specifically for that reason. Yeah, I am. Um, let's see, let's see here. I <laughs> I know this movie, it's just so different. This is going to be really interesting parsing out. This is has to be the most experimental film that we've watched. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was definitely going to say a rent after watching it, even though my viewing experience was like absolutely one of those things where it's like now that I know what it is, I kind of need to see it again. <laughs> I, feel, I kind of feel the same way, you know? actually, yeah. Um, but I already so, it, okay. I'll go ahead and second. I'll second your buy it from that from that place of like I want to understand this film, and on top of, in addition to, the reasons you said as far as the like the practical filmmaking ac- aspects, even though you could say this is practical too. I something I'm just like always just chasing and interested in and can absorb. Um, endlessly are films that especially do this thing of like this is either both a fantastical world or an imagined world both both subjectively and objectively or either or within the context of the film you know and (laughs) similar very similarly to um, god I love it Um, a, a lot of overlap with Hexen here as, totally. Like in in ways like that of just putting you in a, a dream place spell, and then also, um, God, why am I, I Carnival of Souls, which is really yep. stuck with me. And I think kind of like those films, this is another one like those where at first I'm just kind of like, whoa, what what is this? 
and then the appropriately in an appropriately dreamy way that dream kind of seeps its way into my being and um after and why I'd put it to abide over rent it is that like I I checked out most of the I'm only wasn't able to watch a couple of them but I already checked out a lot of the special features that are included on the disc mm. if you were to own it they're all on Criterion channel streaming um, and I, you, you would love them, Tim, like talking about the influences and breaking it down cool. and the, the movie short, it's like an hour, 16 minutes or something like that. So watching the commentary is just totally doable. I watched that this morning. Um, and then, Hey, like always Tim too, maybe <laughs> for your party someday, you put it on and it's a perfect mood October oh, yeah. Halloween piece to have on. You put that, you put this movie on with a little tame Impala album on the background. Right, but there's some, there's some image. Wait, sorry, what? I don't know what that is. Tame Impala. (laughs) Tame Impala is a band, and they're very. I don't even know how to describe them. They're they're funky and and I don't know. (laughs) Okay, I'll check them out. I don't know how you would describe them. They're awesome. (laughs) Great. They're like. Like, you got to go to a Tame Impala concert. Sure. Uh, What was I I saying? Tame Impala. Um, Mood, atmosphere, put on at a party. Oh, just that some of the the imagery, just like, I mean, of course, like, duh, just won me over in the end. And we'll get into some of those specific ones. But uh, yeah, this this is totally one where I just like to, I could revisit it every October just to like, put me Mm -hmm. in a certain mood and now that i know what it is kind of i think i went through a similar thing like i recommended the irishman the other week where my first viewing i was just kind of like this is slow and long and i'm just kind of like bored and not in the mood for this uh even though i wasn't necessarily that far with this one it was still similar where i'm just like what i you go in expecting a narrative with a movie you know (laughs) so (laughs) it's it's really why you got to see it again but boy like has its has its vampiric spell been cast? And if a film can do that for me, then I will rate it that high. So there you go. All right. Well, well, there was a bit of a narrative in this, Tim. So, so you want to lay lay down in Tim terms what the summary Shit. of this film could be? Uh, yeah. Let's see. In broad strokes, you've got Alan. And Alan is a uh, he's he's into the occult and uh, Satan worship, I guess. And in his studies and and sort of exploration of that, he makes his way to this little town called uh, Cortempierre. And not for any too specific reason. He really is a wanderer in the sense of like. Hey, maybe this town's got something for me. Um, so he gets in there and he 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 gets a place. He's staying at like a little B and B, and it's like appropriately kind of eerie. And the Lord of the Manor, <laughs> in the middle of the night, like fucking walks into his bedroom which is pretty creepy um 
and there's like creepy characters like the there's a guy with no eyes and i think he's just a, a workman anyway so the story is you know alan gets there and this dude comes in and get and like get, very eerily gives him a package he's like don't open this until my dad wait is that the same guy as the actual lord of the manor i oh, thought shit I think, maybe not i think this was just like a random older guy who just kind of yeah enters you, the room damn it you might be right <laughs> Yeah, damn. Wait, are they? The oh no, same no, no, it's the same. It's the same. You're right. You're right. Yeah, they're the same. He ends up in the end, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Okay, it's a little uh, obtuse. Anyway, so <laughs> again, yeah, repeat this viewings helps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He gives him this package. He says, "Don't open this till I'm till my death." And then, you know, very soon after, he gets shot to death. But not just by anybody, Tim. Uh, yeah, who shoots him? I forget. A shadow. Oh, right, 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 right. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so then, you know, Alan's got, it's a book, right? It's the book, uh, a vampire book. Um, And let's see. God, it's really kind of, it's it's very meandering. So it's hard to kind of lock down what the hell is going on. Let's see. Um, one, uh, 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 a local girl gets kind of sick and possessed and they, they take her in and they're real concerned about her. And I think those are uh, both the, the two women, those are daughters of the Lord of the Manor. Are they who's both killed. daughters yeah. or just the, okay. Okay, cool. That makes sense. Yep. I see. I see that in the Wikipedia. Um, so one of them has, so he reads some of the book and you get a little sense of the lore of the vampire and whatever. And then like this daughter of the guy who gets killed is found wandering around and she's got the marks of the vampire on her neck so she's we get it she's now you know infected or she's sort of under the spell of the vampire we don't know who the vampire is but also like alan starts wandering around the town and he's seen crazy shit he's seen like reflections in the river with no person in you know to create the reflection and like shadows that are moving around on their own and then like meeting up with their the the person who's creating them and then you know like all sorts of wild stuff and there's like this old doctor dude who's kind of a weirdo and there's an old lady who the doctor dude knows who's kind of suspicious and and creepy uh, there's a peg leg guy whose shadow sometimes leaves him and like wanders around. Uh, it's just like there's crazy shadow dancing people. Uh, it, it's it's all over the place, but it's like Alan's just sort of wandering around, like observing all this stuff and being rightly freaked out by it. Um, God, what then? What happens? Um, well, there's the. Jesus. There's almost the Renfield equivalent is the doctor who's sort of... Yeah, yeah, he has that feel, doesn't he? Well, he's act, as far as, like, acting on behest of the evil. Yeah, And he, totally. he ends up uh, kidnapping the younger of the daughter who wasn't... The younger of the daughters who wasn't bit. That's right. Um. Oh, yeah, and he ties her up real bondage style. Um... And then we get to this moment where and, and Alan and the and that daughter have a they've got a little thing happening. And there's, you can tell there's a little right, he donates blood to help save her. That's when the doctor comes into yeah. play. 
And also, like, there's some more specificities that we find out in the book about, like, it is, like, some of the the vampire rules apply of, you know, Mm. stab them in the, the heart with the stake. That's right. But at it, dawn, in their in their grave, dig up their grave at dawn, and then stab them through the heart with a metal spike. Right. <laughs> and but there's some specifics too. I guess that could apply here to the story of they the vampires specifically go. It says like young young blood, young people, like children and young adults. I think is what it says. That's right. Yes. And that yes. it will once you're bit or whatever. It's I don't think it says you turn into a vampire, but like you'll become sort of under their spell and possessed yes. with wanting to commit suicide. That's right. So you 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 gain you gain this sort of uh unquenchable thirst for blood and that and you're under the spell of the vampire and then that those two things kind of coupled together like you you are compelled to do the vampire's like bidding. Oh, but you're also disgusted by it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that you know, that dichotomy or whatever you want to call it drives you to wanting to kill yourself. All we really see is just her in the bed just kind of being sick, right? And, yeah, the bed, there's a bed scene and there's a chair scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then, then we get to this really trippy sequence, which is sort of the end sequence, which is like Alan is, he, he's wandering again. I can't remember why. But he's wandering around. I think he's following the doctor, maybe? Anyway, I don't remember. But he he sits down at a bench. And then, like, his... He sort of... He, like, astral projects. Like, his being separates from him his body. And we see him as sort of a specter, right? He's slightly transparent. And then he... He wanders in to the to the church or or castle or whatever it is. Yeah. Um. God, I don't even remember what does he discover there. Well, he discovers. Oh, he discovers himself. Yeah, right. it's a third Sorry. version of him. Yes. Yeah, so that's right. So he discovers his own dead body in a coffin uh, that has not been sealed yet. And then we get this really amazing sequence of his point of view from inside the coffin. Right, which is one of those the, coffins that has like the little window where the head is yeah. so he can be looking out. And he's he's still, it's like he's his point of view of a lifeless corpse almost. But his eyes are wide open. Yeah. Uh, and he just can't move. He watches them put, the, like screw the lid on and... Then do then and then we we sort of finally see who the vampire is. The old lady shows up and like does a little candle lighting ceremony thing over him, and then they carry him out and they're like taking him past the church. And I, I think that this sort of had this symbolism of like he needed to like experience death and he's watching the church and the church bells are chiming. So I think there's this sort of religious connotation of like, he needed to like, because he started as a, uh, Satan worshipers or devil worshiper dude, he needed to like reconnect with God or something and, and get on board with that so that he can, then... I will say that's a reading on it. I wasn't necessarily saying this yeah, is what's I, I was going trying on. To, 
I think that there's there's the possibility of some of that suggested in there because he's something to that he's effect. Like a, but he's he's curious. He's not really a Satan worshiper or anything. He's just like, oh, this occult stuff's pretty cool. Right, right. So he, you know, trapped in the coffin with the little window, watches as they take him past the church and the bells are chiming and into the graveyard. But then when they pass, then they pass his body that was still. Well, his like sort of shadow self, I guess, that was still on the bench. That's and his. They, no, that's not his shadow. That's like his real that's his self. Actu- that's his actual self, or right? Whatever that means in this context. Sure. The one that we started <laughs> with, the primary him. Yes, is, yes, is kind of like wakes up on the bench that he passed out yeah, on. Yeah, so they they disappear, and he gets put back into his body that's on the bench, and he gets up, and we see the old lady vampire. In, now in the coffin being buried. That's kind of happening simultaneously, I think, of the end of the the, right. the sequence. Oh, no, she's not being buried. She's being uncovered. Right. It's uh, the, one of the servants from the house yes. who's, like, kind of avenging the death of uh, the Lord of the Manor or whatever. So I th- I, th- I think I think you here's what you can kind of say in, in the most sort of simple terms. Dude comes to town. There's a vampire in town. Vampires wreaking havoc. Dude gets involved with some of the townspeople. Dude investigates, finds out that the you know what vampires are and how to kill them, and then through some dream sequency stuff, he realizes that the vampire is this old lady, and she's in a tomb, and they need to open the tomb, and they need to put an iron stake through her heart at dawn, and so they do that. The end. He's not really involved in that, though. He's just well. He he is right because well, yeah, he sort of is. He shows up and helps right. uncover her. Right, right, right. But it's after the, the whole dream sequence thing. So you're right. It's not like he tells the townspeople here's what to do, but he just sort of like becomes involved. Yeah, and like as far as the ending to our our more villainous character, he's not the vampire, the doctor. Him and his little buddy see a vision of. Uh, the um the old the the father who was killed the manor of the house his giant face appears in a window freaks them <laughs> out so then the doctor runs into a flour mill and sort of by seemingly by supernatural powers we don't really see uh gets locked in like where the flower falls down and yeah, then like the silo or something yeah and then the ma- machinery turns itself on it seems and he perishes under <laughs> by being drowned by flour yeah so that's kind of one of the connective threads right like the guy the the lord of the manor who gets shot by the shadow he's the person in town who knows about vampires cuz he's the one who has the book and so the vampire you know people or or you know minions or whatever they have him killed and then little did they know Alan was given the book so Alan now becomes the person who knows about vampires he's like discovering all of that that's like so that's th- kind of the thread yeah that's a good way to put the thread actually and then once they've killed the vampire her power is gone and i think what the, is implied is that the power of the lord the man, of the manor who's been killed his you know his spirit can now occupy that space and get vengeance for his death. 
Doesn't it have that kind of vibe? Like he's his big head in the window is kind of grinning like, now it's my turn, assholes. I'm going to get you. True. (laughs) True. I was just so, I just was just loving the imagery itself so much. I was hardly thinking in those terms. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But that's it. Yeah. That's the movie. (laughs) Great. 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 20 minutes later. Good little summary. Yeah. (laughs) Um, All right. Well, let's move into our next section then, right to it. Here we go. What worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? It worked like a charm, Smith. What worked? What worked for you? I mean, it's like, 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 what do you say? Like the camera work and the imagery, like, great. I don't know. It's, it's, and it's, there's so much of it and it's constant. It's, it's oh, hard to yeah. absorb or report back on like scenes in a way. I mean, we will, but it's just it's just all great. Yeah. Yeah, so overall, look, dude, the acting in it is phenomenally good. Right. I mean, if you compare it to other contemporary acting of you know that era, it's doing it's 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 moved away or not even connected to the sort of the tropey melodramatic like uh sort of the vaudeville like large mannerisms stuff that was pretty typical of the early you know silent film era and definitely spilled over into the early uh sound era it doesn't do that at all it's total realism well like People are emotional in in like a very real way. So it's funny. I mean, yeah, so here we could, we'll go back to the imagery and camera work. But yeah, as far as the actors and how they contributed to it for me, uh, I agree. They really did a lot to set the tone. And kind of breaking it down, I think why I learned that except for, I guess, the, the Lord of the Manor and then the older daughter who's the one freaking out in the bed, those were the only professional actors. Everyone else, everyone else was a non-actor. So I, I think, and that's where I make the biggest comparison to Hexen is, mm. and something about it being in, you know, when it's a film this old too, like Hexen, where the combination of non-actors and it being an older, older, older film feels like you're watching something real, like super, like, like yeah. it, the supernatural stuff feels like it's just being shot and captured in a way that's just, you can't do with modern film in a way, you know, maybe watching those films, uh, you know, maybe with time. Yeah. But there's just something about capturing this, these actors who are non-actors in this era that really connect you to this, this otherworldly place and feel. Yeah. Yeah, it's very it just feels really even though there's fantastical stuff going on, it's really grounded. Mhm. Mhm. Like you know, I kept thinking uh, I I kept f- having this feeling of familiarity with it. And I think part of that is that there's I mean, this movie has I I would imagine, I mean, obviously I don't know for sure, but I feel like I see components of this film in other 
really great horror films or horror films that I love. Like, I don't know if it's homage or if it's just coincidental or if it's just a vibe thing, but like, you know, uh, in the lighthouse, like I felt like I might, I might as well have been watching the lighthouse in terms of just the feel and how it's shot and how it's lit. It's so similar to that. Yeah. Um, there's little things like there's sort of evil dead things in it too. Like, like he comes out of a basement at one point and the, the hatch that he goes through is exactly the hatch in the cabin. And it's like little things like I, I don't know how connected they actually are, but like in overall vibe, it's so setting this sort of tone of familiarity for me and like, uh, creepiness it's got just it's got an overall really like hypnotic spell to it and then you you start adding in these crazy special effects which are all practical so well not all practical but like well, I guess how however you deter, you define practical you mean but in like, camera or not they're in camera right it's like they're actual shadows that they're figuring out ways to like manipulate yeah. and and like I assume they're doing some split screen type stuff at various points and they're doing double exposure stuff. Uh, they're doing, they're speeding up the film at certain points to make it feel a little off and creepy. It's fucking cool. God, there's so much you just said. I want to, I want to touch on, I mean, the idea of when you said, you know, filmically familiar. And of course we just know this was a huge influence on other filmmakers makes a lot of like filmmakers, you know, horror filmmakers, top lists and all that. I think it was 50 on sort of an aggregated top 100 horror Mm -hmm. list of filmmakers or something like that. Uh, But not only is it filmically familiar, I was trying to figure out like, and I think a lot of it has to do with the leads being a non actor, but like, what's my, where is my emotional in here that I got attached to, you know? And, and what what made me think of this is when you said it does feel familiar. And I'll connect this back to when last week's episode, remember I said I loved learning the term going on a ramble, like in, in yeah. Western yeah. terminology. I'm like, damn, that's what I do. You know, I just want to <laughs> wander. And like, you sort of, it's kind of like we've talked about uh, rando nodding, Tim, not on mm-hmm. the, not on mm-hmm. the show, but I think we've, we've talked about that. But I really relate to and love and just sort of connect it to our our sense of wanting to put adventure in our real lives by you're setting an intention and then stepping into a situation and then that adventure is manifesting with you. And that's what's just so, it's so simple a setup, but I love that that's all it was, which is this dude who's like, yeah, I'm just into weird stuff. I'm going to go to this town and hope to get into weird stuff. And he does. And it's... Boy, does he. Remember (laughs) this whole sequence of him like walking into... (laughs) I don't even know what the building is. It's like a... I don't know. But it's just full of skull paraphernalia. Right. And like the weird little um, dead babies and... Dude, it's outrageous. Like, I'm like... That's kind of my aesthetic right now. Yeah. <laughs> like I've become kind of obsessed with skull uh like like knickknacks. Mhm. And I you know, I think this place is maybe takes it a little far, but <laughs> I was I was super into it. It's so creepy. I loved uh I mean, maybe I'll just transition to get some of that imagery and specific stuff in it. 
out of the way. But yeah, not only skulls, but I loved the skeleton imagery where you had, where, oh God, I loved that scene. It was one of my favorites where he's sort of like falling asleep. It's not like he, it's like he may be asleep or maybe not be asleep. We're sort of catching him in that fall asleep period. And it's even though he's on a bed that's close to a wall, it's like the wall behind him, behind his pillow, starts sort of flashing. And we get the sense mm. of like, it gave that feel of like when you're falling asleep and the dream world is starting to enter your reality or vice versa or whatever. And we get these cuts where it's it's like a skeleton hand holding the bottle of poison that's actually there. <laughs> it's uh, so cool. Yeah, oh, so neat. Uh, God, I mean, we you touched on when you're saying all that worked for you, the shadows, like specifically what some neat things in there, two things that stood out to me were uh, the waltzing shadows, which felt very like Haunted Mansion. And then again, Carnival of Souls felt like the sort of continuation of that that, uh, motif or visual. And then I loved, uh, maybe even got me more, you know, that was cool. But then what got me in the creepy sense was outside, pretty early on you had these shadows running by that were... They, first, they just kind of look like, you know, humans or regular humans, or and, and they are, but the way that they play and the way that they look, they look like little imp shadows. That's the best word I can think to describe it. And just something about that and, and that hexen sense of just these, mm-hmm. like, impish beings that are just, we can't quite see, but are there kind of thing, and we're just getting these shadows, and they're they're doing something in their, their dimension right there. Oh, but, oh, that was great. You know what just came to mind, too, is there's this sense of this movie, to me, feels like if a German expressionist film took place in the real world. Well, that's what it is, essentially, because he's right. He's he embraced a uh, low budget uh, existing location approach. You know, instead of building these crazy sets and like making it really over the top and and like, you know, artistically sort of manipulated, they're just finding ways to create very similar composition in the real world with real existing buildings. And there are shots in there that are just fucking wild, like the way obviously because of black and white and and you know, the technique of of contrast and, and composition in black and white. Where he put the camera for so many of these different shots, creating the, you know, compartmentalized boxes or framing or window framings or, like, long uh, hallway, like, um, vertical lines that are then, there's this, there's this one scene that's like a high shot looking down down into kind of a foyer almost but it's it's like maybe a chapel or something and you get like one wall is very dark on the right side the doorway of the entire hallway is completely blacked out the wit or whatever the vampire lady is down at the bottom of it looking really small in the frame there are wagon wheels that are practically set in there that are lit and then there are the shadows of wagon wheels on the walls as if they're just in space hovering there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy the shit that they're doing. And yet your brain is sort of like just with it. it it's so cool. And and like <laughs> – 
it's amazing to me what you can do just with a little bit of lighting and putting the camera in the right place. Yeah. Well, it's it, fucking crazy. It's, I think why, I mean, why that when that works is if the imagery, the idea you're going for itself is, I use this word a lot, potent enough. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's something you can like feel, visualize, because then it's just a matter of, if that's powerful enough, then you, then you execute and the simpler the execution the better in a way because yeah. you know it puts the focus on the imagery itself like i get the giant head in the window that's <laughs> that's when i was like oh do i love this movie <laughs> you know as soon as that happened even so just good. even the white you know the the whiteness the the very powder whiteness of the the mill whatever that is what did you say oh it's flour right like having it be this powder white flower that he's being buried in with like it's backlit or toplit and he is this dark entity sur- being surrounded by the light so to speak it's real and he's like physically literally caged by black bars like all of that just on its own is really cool to look at but then you start to like peel back the actual metaphor or the actual symbolism of the shot in the context of the story and it's like it's so fucking cool or like i love just you know even metaphor side peeling back what is happening in con- the, just the context of the story and like like i loved when you make the realization that this just kind of whatever older woman is the vampire and we're trapped in the coffin and she's just you know, with certitude doing her own little candle ritual, pouring the mm-hmm. wax over the glass on the cover. And you go, oh my God, it all of a sudden became becomes like a hundred times more terrifying than if it was the the Max Shrek vampire. As though I could argue that's, right. you know, its own thing and great too. But just something about like, oh my, it, again, it's just that sense of it being real. You're watching, oh God, this is a, a real vampire haunting this village as soon as yeah. just being shown just right in front of you doing its things just like how it would be it did make me wonder a little bit just from a like a context era context and like cultural context if there's some sort of correlation or suggestion of like in the real world you know cuz like all these you know this is fairly standard for horror stories the monster is sort of represent representative of you know something in real life and i get a little bit of the vibe from this that the old woman being the vampire is a little representative of like maybe immigrants at the time that or like i don't know if if and i don't mean this in a derogatory word but i don't know how else to put it but like if the the sort of sense of of gypsy culture and like where people who are referred to as gypsies like they were considered you know other and less lesser than and and in some contexts a you know a problem and i got a little bit of that vibe that maybe this is that's part of the metaphor is that this is commentary at least on some level of like the the outsider coming in and wreaking havoc and having to like you know having to kill them and and get them out of there um because like 
I, I and granted, I I should do some research and figure out what was going on and like what the the temperature of the time was. But you know, we are just after World War One. Um, we're very close to World War II happening. We have the rise of this nationalism stuff in Germany happening, which was very anti anti Jewish, yeah, anti anti um, immigrant, anti uh, gypsy, if you will. And it made me think like this. There's a part of me that felt like maybe this was a little like uncomfortably a little bit of like Aryan. Uh, uh, what do you call that? Sort of Aryan. Like prejudice? <laughs> like prejudice. Yeah. Like pro Aryan, like anti immigrant commentary. Yeah. I absolutely. And I think what, what they did that, you know, who knows, intentional or not, what just made it work though and put it in, okay, I can just view it as a vampire territory is like mm-hmm. it still did the thing where I, maybe I'm misremembering, but I got the sense, yeah, that she was an out-of-towner or something like that, but it wasn't like she had just showed up. It seemed like she had been there a really, really right. long time, and that's what sort of gave it the the sense of, oh, it's not just an immigrant. <laughs> so, so, so two things actually make me think that my argument might be actually the that the, the, the filmmaker's intent was actually the opposite of what I'm saying. I, I think you could potentially make the argument that this is anti-nationalism. And the reason I think that that's possibly true is that he gains knowledge through literature, right? Which was, you know, a known sort of, you know, anti-intellectualism was happening at the time. They were literally burning books. Like there was that thing going on. Um, the lead guy who plays Alan has kind of he doesn't feel overtly quote unquote German looking like stereotypically German looking he looks like how I've seen pictures of H.P. Lovecraft that kind of like long yeah. like, like really yeah. long faced not not beady eyes but kind of like just stern, what? he's got big eyes like yeah stern brow long face but I think yeah, he, you could make the argument that he's sort of representative of the immigrant experience, the wandering, you know, outsider who comes into the well-established norms of a town. And the intellectual elite of the town is killed and passes on his literal book of knowledge to this outsider who then has to to, to – root out the inherent and long-standing evil that exists in the town. He's given the responsibility indeed. Yeah, and so I I don't know which is the intent, but both kind of could be, uh, you know, could be argued. I like the latter one much better. <laughs> it's a little more positive. Um I get the sense but that it's, these are all just kind of non-deliberate ideas floating around. I, yeah, yeah, that's kind of – I think that's sort of what I'm getting at and like how – you know, when you have a movie that has these sort of it's, – its strength is, is creating a context of possibility that you, the viewer, actually are filling in your own – experience and your own kind of like well prejudice or or biases or whatever you want to call it or things that speak to you 
And it's it's just open and vague enough and ethereal enough for it to receive kind of a lot of different potential meaning. And there's something really fascinating to me about that. Like, and I, and I, as somebody who generally likes to feel like, you know, oh, it, here, here, I can understand the intention or I can pick apart the intention. It's even more fascinating to have a film where you kind of can't. You can speculate, but it's just on the other edge of like uh, defined enough for it to receive any kind of in meaning that you put into it. Those are my favorite films. It's so cool. <laughs> it's got this weird universality to it, right? Yeah. Like, and I wonder if if that's a product of sort of a more a deeper, broader like human condition aspect of like what's going on in the movie. Really, really simple things. Guy comes into town. Something's up in the town. Got to figure out what's up in the town. Kind of likes the people in the town. There's some weird people in the town. You know, it's like this, it's this cool construct that we've, I mean, it's very familiar. Right, it's not I just, like a new thing. I rewatched um, for the first time in years because I loved it as a kid, Sleepy Hollow with Johnny Depp. That's that exact <laughs> nice. kind of construct. Yeah. Yeah, there's something really universally pleasing about it. Uh, I so good job, Carl. You did it. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, you you mentioning it too when he gets the book from the the father. That was kind of the the continuation of the thought I had of just being able to connect with a sense of going into a new place with an intent of a of an occult macabre uh, a sense of adventure or, or wanting that kind of adventure and. And that it happened, like his inciting incident is the town itself, you know, all right, I've kind of arrived. And then it's like the class, it's like, you know, getting getting the sword that sets you off in Zelda or whatever, yeah, yeah. getting the book in the middle of the night, you know, oh God, it's, I, so yeah, specifically that, just being handed off the book of the vampire. And then it's so funny because he doesn't read it immediately and it's in a package. He only sort of remembers it. It sort of sets the, the weird things at play, but then um, it's only when he needs it sort of soon after those first, uh, the first killing of the, who, who gave it for him, where mm-hmm. he thinks, oh yeah, oh yeah, what was that book? What was that th- package he gave me? <laughs> Just kind of pulls it out, perfect timing. It's so cool, yeah. Yeah. It made me think, and, and Britt was here watching it with me, and she was like, she's an, you know, she's an artist and photographer and and a number of other um, mediums. But she was like, it would be so cool to uh, to make this style of film contemporary right now. You know, to take all of the the elements that are working and and do it in a modern camera. You know, in a modern setting. And it's like. To, if you it, it, that that to me is a testament of the art being that amazing is that we're 90 years later almost exactly right like this is film between 30 and 31 right we're about to enter into 21 of the next century <laughs> right like we're 90 years off and we're still watching it and artistically being like this is so cool i want to do my version of that yeah 
Absolutely. And it's awesome. It's like what I'll always say too of the the originals to do something hold the most power for it in a way. And we can take those and put those things in a new context and make a new powerful stool stew. But boy, boy, oh boy, does this one, yeah, pack that OG punch much in the way all these, you know, the Nosferatu and Hexen, mm-hmm. all those do. Hell yeah. Uh, some more on the camera work too. And, you know, we, yeah. we mentioned that it was just had a, you know, that surprisingly frenetic uh, uh, feel and execution to it for such an old film. But it was just, it just got me thinking, you know, when, when it's done in this older film, like why, what is it doing actually? And it's just, I, I don't know. It's just, it's like, it's, it's just as if it's just for the sense of pacing or just for the sense of momentum almost. And you could say on top of just the camera moving, the amount of cuts that happened too were a lot. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know exactly what I'm saying here, but it, it all worked and added up to something in a way where, God, I, I don't. I don't know. Is this? Is, I'm just trying to pick apart what his choices were. You know. Well, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the I think when the very first camera moves is a push in at an angle, right? So you're look. I believe you're looking at the door that Alan is outside of. So you're looking from inside out. And he's sort of knocking on the windows of the door. And the camera move, you know, a lot of the time when you have a push-in, it's a straight-on push-in, right? You have your subject and you're sort of framing straight with the architecture of the room or whatever. This push-in is about, oh, I don't know. I'd say it's about 10 to 15 degrees off-center. And so you don't even push in directly at Alan. (laughs) You're pushing in like to his... Well, his left, our right. And it's a very wide lens and it's all very soft focus. And it creates this, it immediately feels dreamy. And that, you know, that is set shot one or two. I don't even remember exactly what the first shot was, but this is the one of the first shots. And it's, I think, the first time we sort of see Alan's face and we're getting this off-center wide distorted push in that warps the edges of the frame Mm. as we move through space at kind of an unnatural pace too it's not like it's a little too fast to be just a walk if you were the subject of if you were the camera walking toward the the door yeah but it's 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 in this weird nebulous zone that just feels unnatural and then they rinse and repeat that vibe with totally different angled camera moves. And like I said before, some of them are multi-access, right? So you'll start at an angle doing a tracking shot, but then as you're tracking, they will change the pivot of the, you know, the head of the the camera, the, the fluid head, right? They'll turn as they're, they're let me, let me explain this better. <laughs> so, you're tracking from left to right. You're at an angle that's not uh, symmetrical with the room. So you're, you're moving through space at an angle. And then as you go from left to right, you pivot the fluid head of the camera 
also to the right, so you're you're increasing your acceleration of 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 what your the image is seeing, but then also tilting up. So you're getting this multi-axis move that is really disorienting. It feels like you're almost getting like pulled around the room. And man, I I don't know, like even now I don't feel like you see stuff like that that's executed really, you know, specifically and disorient like it's being disorienting disorientating in a very specific way it uh, it did immediately make me think of robert eggers and the lighthouse camera moves like it's got that similar like we're in a small room with a wide lens everything's a little bit warped everything's a little bit off angle everything's a little out of speed and it's really flat you know, like it's floaty and dreamy and disorienting and like has this powerful effect on us. I mean, you said it all right there. I mean, <clears throat> a way I can kind of put it or clarify it from another angle too that that you got me thinking. Like, I love how you put it as like the way the camera's moving. It's like we're getting pulled along at a rate faster than we can walk. So I was just thinking of it like in the context of those of the the shadows on the walls and the dancing shadows, mm. which is so effective because it's like you know they like however they did it were like how are the the people making the shadows you know in the sense of how they were filming it not getting in the way of the camera but anyways that that <laughs> yeah. effect of of how they were doing it it I guess I can parse out a little why it, what's cool about it and what it works for me when I compare it to what maybe an alternative would be, where like, let's say, story of this guy witnessing these things, he's on his bed. And, you know, it's almost like the the typical thing, like for a ghost story, let's say, is you just sort of see him, see see these, let's say, shadows dancing on the wall from his perspective. And it's it's like, oh, what was that? Ooh, what is, oh, did I just see? It's like, oh, I, you know, it's, it has that, that, what, that super subject, subjective point of view. It's it's doing something way, way different than what this is doing is when you're getting pulled along and sucked along, like you said, it's like you're being so, so forcefully confronted with this other realm dimension, what's real or what's not, is that it just really does put you there in the movie itself is dreamlike. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it just goes to show you, too, like, even though photography and film photography in particular, when this was made, was so new. But the the level of expertise and, like, ingenuity and understanding in execution was so high. Oh, wait, we didn't even mention it. We've just been talking about it. This is not even a silent film. This was made just sort of during the transition right. from silent to sound films. So Carl Dreyer, he went and um, studied, I think, in a... So at the time, like, all the, I, I guess he was working with different... Or, like, had been working with different, um, you know, German and, and French film companies. And they were just all, like, in a tizzy, the European film companies of 
not wanting to embrace the new and not sure what to do and the, <laughs> yeah. the changing and all that and that. But, you mean the whole plot of Singing in the Rain? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, I love that movie. <laughs> um, and that's actually what I was thinking of too. Is like it was a musical how it was shot. The shadows on the wall, you know, like giving yeah, it that kind yeah. of energy to it. Anyways, I just thought it was so in- interesting how yeah he studied. Uh, I guess the basics of where things were at with this new technology in England and then was just so smart in how he incorporated this completely this completely you know half of a new facet to this whole medium it's it's huge you know if you're thinking about it you're adding audio to it so so there's all these early great examples that are exactly what we're talking about doing about bending realities with the sound itself he's hearing the sounds of like uh, strange dog barks and animal yelps and and children making noises, you know, in the middle of the night, and we we never know what's what's uh, what's real or not. But doing plenty with this with the sound in that sense too, and also Do, yeah, what? Oh, sorry. Oh, when, I was just gonna say it's it's a really good example of of knowing the time mm-hmm. and using both elements of the mediums that that you're in the transition between, mm-hmm. right? Like it's, it's um, what 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 am I doing right here? It's melding. Yes, <laughs> it's melding together the the norms of silent films with like text and stuff for information, with now additional dialogue, actual dialogue in in real time, right? So it's doing both things, but giving you sort of this transition of both things, so that you're not. You know, as an audience, you're not like thrown out of your seat because you're like, what is this yeah. new fangled technology? I can't even wrap my head around it. It's like a really good balance of both those things. Since we're on the top topic, this is a little more uh, things of note. But he he was they they didn't shoot sync sound, though. So all the right. also all the dialogue was added after the fact. So ADR, baby. So So the way some of this behind the scenes stuff put it was that because he was in the mode already of thinking, okay, I'm going to be adding sound here, that's what kind of opened the floodgates to, oh, well, what are all the sounds that I could be adding? And what is everything I can be doing better just the approach of, oh, it's a, it's a talkie, that means you just record them. You know, so it, it, that's what sort of opened the doors for, God, I mean... <laughs> Really cool atmospheric sounds in this. Very sparse about, music too. That's just right. that kind of ooh, oh, like the best in horror movies. I love it's doing it here. Yeah. There, there is a sound that I'm convinced Kubrick used in The Shining, which it's is sort of a bell chimey, like low bongy f- thing. And I was like, I've heard that. I that's so familiar. Yeah, and I, I, I you know. If not intentionally, it's it's very similar. It's probably just using a gong as an instrument for a yeah. s- very similar intent. Yeah. But also, you know, it makes me realize how smart they were about sound design. Because think about, like, in the early talkie era, one of the biggest problems is cutting sound together, right? They didn't really have a, you know, often they failed at... Uh, managing to seamlessly connect room tone from one take to the other or or things like that. And you get, you know, you get these cuts in the sound that are, you can hear the cut and it's it's inconsistent. This movie has virtually none of that, which is amazing. 
that they were like, no, no, don't do that thing because that thing sucks. Mm-hmm. Like, let's if if we don't need sound, don't have it at all. Right. Don't don't try to shoehorn it in just because we can. It's so well executed. I uh, I don't know what to say about him, but I loved the guy who played the doctor. And it was one of those moments where <laughs> yeah, where yeah. I wish I was there watching it with you because I just imagined by the end you watching him and just going like this fucking guy like who like who is this guy that they got he's like <laughs> so di- he's just he's just so him and uh, to skip ahead too to like uh, things of note that like yeah he said they're non actors he was some poet who had never acted in anything before Crazy. and never again acted in anything and just just his look is is just. So like kind of like Mark Twainy Albert Einstein, but more gaunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So fun as him. Anyway, just love love that guy. Yeah, I mean, I really love everybody in it. The the, the just the the essence of it, that every individual brought. Mm-hmm. The main guy is so compelling. <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. Like he's he's equally uh, like relatable yet also a mystery i don't know something yeah. really funny about him yeah it's really it's it's a good movie i, I dug it it's worth a buy for sure um i mean anything else you want to speak to it's just no i mean just the I, I guess just to reiterate the use of in-camera effects like double exposure and like uh transition uh what do you call that um you know, for for example, when the when the woman vampire is finally killed, you see her body in the coffin, and then it phases from her to a skeleton. Yeah, it's so precise and well done, and they use that technique. I mean, dude, a dude leaves his body and like wanders around translucent, like uh. for ten minutes of the film in 1932. So cool. It's fucking rad. <laughs> great how about that's the note we leave it on i feel like that's a good, <laughs> good end point there's so much more like i want to say but i realize we've already covered a lot just because we've yeah been excited about it um great well well as we do here we just gotta continue with our dismembering horror proceedings in our next section we will see indeed if there is anything for what did not work it's not ready yet seems to work okay no, something important's missing. What did not work? <laughs> I just got a big old blank here, Tim. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's like, I guess the only thing that I felt was kind of just a product of the the style. There were times when I kind of lost my, like, focus. No, ab- that's about it, though. Right, absolutely. I mean, same here, but it's I couldn't put that as it's not not working. It's really just me having a short attention. <laughs> right, and it's not like it's <laughs> it's like what did not work for me on a first viewing, which is never going to happen. And 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 that if it were to work, then it would change what it is, which I don't want too. Yeah, like already when I just kind of you know was I listened to the whole commentary, but like maybe watch you know two thirds of it while it was going, and already I'm like, oh yeah, this is great. Okay, I get it now. Yeah, yeah, this is the the little detail yeah. I missed there that helps so much. Yeah, yeah, 
I guess, you know, maybe I could say the, oh man, probably, I probably can't really justify this, this thought, but learning, a- it's a little obtuse, right? Like it's, it's, it's a little hard to sort of uh, hold tight to what's going on for a lot of it. But I think that will go away with, with more viewing also you were just saying like that's what worked for you like the way you're i know the way you're describing <laughs> like how the dude's just kind of wandering around it's like that goes hand in hand with that yeah <laughs> yeah so nothing i don't know yeah i don't really have anything <laughs> i mean i this is this is, could be again more things of note but like hearing about some of the cut footage specifically for the I think it was the German censorship had them cut down on the doctor getting buried at the end, where there was apparently also a close up like insert shot of him, you know, screaming mm. or whatever. But that was just too much for the censors. Oh but man, I think that would be too cool much. to make um an ultimate version that yeah. way, and then uh, and then more things like outside of their control. But the original negative is lost or non-existent or destroyed. Right, yeah. So they had to assemble it from, I guess, like the German, Danish, French, a few different versions. And um, it's, pr- it's pretty good, but in some spots you can tell like the print isn't as, a- as ideal as it could be. Sure, sure, yeah. There's definitely, yeah, there's like a something on the lens or on the, on the, on the film that was probably originally on the lens in some of the takes. It's, it's like a little line oh, like just, a flaw just to the right of center i know what you're talking about yes and it was annoying you know it's, you're just like shit that's too bad i gotta wonder if kind of like the the hexen blu-ray where the one we watched the version that was streaming on criterion channel and for whatever reason the 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 restoration that they have on the actual disc of hexen is like immaculate compared to mm. what they have streaming on the channel well, that's interesting. Um, so yeah. I, I wonder if it could be the same case for this one, where if you buy it, it's uh, be. something something a little better. Which is we have the technology. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And anyway, yeah. I wonder if kind of like Metropolis someday that this could get its full restoration with that. Those like some of those extra shots found or put back in, and mm, be a better yeah. quality reel. That'd be cool. That would be cool. Anyway, since this is already kind of things of notey, should we move into things of note? Yes, definitely. Here we go. Things of note. Things of note! (laughs) This should be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I already told you about there's only the two professional actors amongst them, the father and the older daughter uh, who's, who's freaking out, who's the vampire's victim. Um, it was fun on the Criterion channel. They had like a little couple minute clip. Watch Tim. I specifically recommend them to you to check out all those special features. You'll really, cool. really dig. Uh, but there's a little like couple minute clip of our bud Guillermo, Willie Del oh, Toro yeah. talking about it. He said, "This is like total Guillermo Del Toro." He said, "The closest you get to a poem on film." <laughs> yeah, that um, sounds like him. <laughs> and he said, "Delivers the idea that." death is just around the corner purely in cinematic terms. Hmm. You know, because he was kind of reinstating what a, what a lot, you know, what, what we've said a lot say as far as movie should only 
uh, it, it delivers something that only a movie can inherently, you know, sure. communicate yeah. something beyond a literal message. So it was fun, uh, him trying to put that though in a literal message and that, um, well, I guess it's not, it's, it's an idea. Death is around the corner. Communicate that in purely cinematic terms. Yep. Well did, well, did I mean, I got some more I got from all these little bits and bops. Did I didn't you? really go. I didn't do anything. Okay. <laughs> um, Dreyer said when setting after this, and this is probably how he, he his, his intent was to, to as, we, as we always love ourselves um, to do and talk about, was to reach new territory. He said, I just want to make a film different from all, he, yeah, with this, with Vampire, I just wanted to make a film that's different from all other films. I wanted to break new ground for cinema. That's all. That was awesome. that was his intent. And then kind of what was floating in the air for him was he had seen um Dracula had was was just about to was like being shot when this came out, I think, or something like that. But he had London After Midnight had come out, which had, you know, some vampire elements too. And then Dracula was like a really big hit in New York and some places in Europe. Nosferatu had come out. So mm. all those just kind of melded together. And where he drew some inspiration from was the book. God, when was it from? From, you know, old even back then was a book in the glass darkly, which was like a collection of short, creepy stories. And he just took elements from there. Like there was a, a really interesting passage on just fog and the and setting a mood, and that seemed like it was a big influence, and something about lesbian vampires and one story about uh, you know, being buried alive. So He's, it was really like nothing was a literal adaptation, but he just kind of took these took these little elements from here and there. And then That's I was cool. texting you before we recorded these these paintings from Francisco Goya, who uh, so amazing. If you haven't seen their work, you should look up. But that was a big inspiration point for this two film uh, for this film too. And I think he was specifically showing those to the actors as kind of an nice. inspiration point too. Yeah, I've seen I've seen a number of those, and they are very unsettling and very amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so so our our main dude too. This is so funny, you know, who we we both enjoyed it who played Alan Gray, the young wanderer, Nicholas de Gunsberg, credited as Julian West. He was he was just like a uh a fashion journalist, I think they said. <laughs> Okay. Something like yeah, yeah. Fashion journalist was what he's prime, but he was had money. And Dreyer was, you know, after it had been like four or five years since he was able to, you know, since he had last made um pa- uh, the the Joan uh, Passion Joan what what's it called what we already mentioned, um, and he he uh, wasn't having any success trying to pitch this to studios. So this, this, this rich guy, like this rich fashion journalist was like, sure, I'll fund your movie if you cast me as the lead. It's wow. one of those cases. <laughs> it's one of those cases where it actually worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Serendipity on their side with this one, for sure. Which, we've had that experience a couple times where we've been like looking for funding mm-hmm. and and you know somebody comes along and they're like yeah I'll do it but you got to put me in it and we're like no sometimes <laughs> though it's just like yep you got to make your movie yep and uh and they did it and it all worked out he believed that's awesome uh so so yeah um 
you know, I mentioned there was this the censorship stuff that they had to cut some shots or scenes or whatever. But kind of opposite to how it sounded like you reacted to the dialogue, German audiences at the premiere when it first came out, they found the dialogue scenes like so stilted that they booed mercilessly. <laughs> like they were oh, really upset. And then, like, they so that caused Dreyer to go back and like try to cut some scenes here and there. And apparently, what happened in, in, in Vienna and in Austria, there were moviegoers at one instance who became so outraged at a screening that they demanded their money back. And when they were refused their money back, as this as this uh, history, film historian put it very politely, when denied, police showed up and, quote, had to restore order with nightsticks. <laughs> like, You're beating up moviegoers for not liking the sound that's so intense. Mm-hmm. Why are people so fucking crazy? Change. Like, calm down. Change, It's man. not that big a deal. It's a huge deal, apparently, of how, I don't know, people talking are portrayed. Well, it was also, like, not we're just mad, but some people were laughing at it at first, too, where they thought, like, so the film was shot with the actors uh, speaking or, or or mouthing both French, German, and English. So there could mm-hmm. be those three different versions. And also with that was, like, well, let's, so we can... I, something about wanting to, I don't know, they had to give it a certain cadence, that slower cadence, and that's specifically what was apparently causing such an uproar. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, the English version is not known to have ever been completed, so hmm. it's the uh, the German-French version where things are assembled from. Um, yeah, what else we got? Yeah, it was his first film in like four or five years because he had been spin, had been forced to spend a lot of time in litigation something oh surrounding his pre- previous film. And then after this film, it was a 10 years before he could make another one. Um, so it was cool, though, that... Oh, and also something I really liked that, you know, he had made... Um, God, wait, is it... I was already forgetting, is it? Yeah, uh, Passion of Joan of Arc. Like, you know, that was, you know, bigger budget production, studio thing or whatever. But was I love this is that he brought on a lot of those crew members, you know, key mm-hmm. head department crew members to work on this, what was ostensibly a super indie movie now. Yeah. Um, so I just love that idea of like all these people, you know, we're used to working on the bigger budgets, but no, we, we're filmmakers. We get it done. We, we no matter what, I, I just love that them getting all, bring in, bringing the band back together for his, his, That's right. his That's the indie way thing, it. financed by the star. It's so great. <laughs> um, though the abandoned Chateau location, it was also where the cast and crew stayed, which is apparently mm-hmm, not, nice. not the most pleasant stay. <laughs> um, I bet. <laughs> great. I mean, yeah, you should, I think you, you specifically, Tim, You'll know if this includes you when you're listening. Uh, really, yeah, delve into all these all these special features. Pretty neat. Cool. Well, well, Tim, if that's it, I think it is it for Vampire slash Vampire from 1932. Right. So, uh, should we recommend Dead? If we have anything yes, to recommend Dead, we what, should. What do you want to recommend Dead? Well, seeing as it's Christmas. Christmas time. Uh, I have been, to put it lightly, compelled to watch some Christmas movies uh, that I normally would not watch. (laughs) (laughs) 
and because uh, it's not really my era, but it's Brit's era, and she's like, "You got you got to watch these." So we've watched the first two Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen. I watched the first one a lot as a kid. I had the VHS. Yeah, and so we you know we still got to watch the third one, which has um, Martin Short in it as uh, Jack Frost, I think. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> But they're fun. They're kids' movies, you know. But they're they're kind of fun. I love and goofy. a Judge Reinhold at, in the first one. Cracks me up. Yeah, he's in both. I mean, so far, really, but they yeah, got it, him back. Yeah, they got everybody back. It's crazy. <laughs> no, I was just I was just being a being a smartass. Um, yeah, he's in yeah, he's fun. in Gremlins. I just rewatched that. That's one of my favorite movies. Is he? Who is he in Gremlins? He's like the the other guy working at the bank who then also asks out Phoebe oh. Cates. And where he, he asks her, I was like, yes. so how about it, Kate? You haven't seen my new apartment. She goes, I haven't seen your old apartment. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. And then he says, when, uh, when, you know, um, when his uh, dog knocks over Miss Deagle at the beginning in the bank and Judge Reinhold goes... Peltzer, what are you doing? This is a bank, not a pet store. And then the the higher up manager goes, "Very nice, Gerald, or whatever." <laughs> Thank you, sir. Uh, uh, that's a great Christmas movie. We should watch that one. I I Gremlins. literally just watched it. I got the the four K Blu Ray. I ate it right up. I, it's, it's, I've watched that movie maybe like I don't know. It's just one I watched on repeat as a kid growing yeah. up. But I'm not going to recommend Dead that Tim. I will recommend Dead. Let's see. We're watching a lot of good stuff. A lot of good stuff here. Well, <laughs> to keep up the Christmas theme, how about since this is um, since this is uh, yeah, Happy uh, Christmas Eve? If you're listening to this live when it hey. comes out, well, no, I, I was gonna say I I saw Elf for the first time ever. Oh, really? You had never seen I'd it? Never huh. seen Elf. I won't recommend that though. I will recommend Dead something that probably everyone else is watching just because it stuck with me and like I just had so much fun watching it as silly as it was. It was Happiest Season. Did you see that yet, Tim? No, what is that? It's great. It's like a cla- it's like a it's it's like a total like feel good like borderline schmaltzy Hallmark Christmas movie, but it's about a lesbian couple. Like 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 twist like putting a twist on it for the first time but it just this that just made it like so enjoyable and fresh i'm like yeah this is so much better wait because it's not an upper middle class white family like nuclear family living in the the chicago area well it's it actually does feel like exactly like that but they just happen to be a lesbian couple, and it's just like, oh my god, I'm so much more into this when there's no dudes involved. It's just, it's just great. <laughs> but I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. It's been big. There's, it's like on the sunset and Vine. It's like right now, it's all yeah. the posters are there for it. It's got, it's got. Uh, I'm not leaving my apartment. <laughs> it's got a uh, Kristen Stewart, Mackenzie Davis, Allison Brie, Aubrey Plaza, uh, yeah, Steen, Mary Steenburgen, like those people. Victor Garber, Dan Levy. It's great. Cool. I, I mean. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It was just. It was just feel good and fun. Like I couldn't help but get caught up in it. Nothing wrong with that. Great. So if you haven't seen it yet, no, why not check out Happiest Season? I know you want to. What's, What's that, that sound, noise? Tim? That what sounds. Tell me? What is it? It sounds like our it? skull bike bell to me. Now, Tim, we we that that skull bike bell. I hear that sound 
for if it's a new release. Well, there's nothing coming out in theaters. There are new films coming out. Um, but nay, it also is just a disruption from our hat pull is what that bell tells us, I suppose. That's right. It's saying do in, not... In lieu of being able to go to a theater. <laughs> right. In, instead of saying, uh, yes, that bell is here to tell us. Sorry, I put this so long-windedly. That bell is here to tell us, nay, don't reach for that hat today because we got a plan <laughs> for you, Ryan and Tim, next week. Well, we had a special request from a friend and listener, Anthony, to do a Christmas film this year, but we had already missed it for our recording. So what we will do is do a New Year's Eve film because Mm. our next episode happens to be releasing on New Year's Eve. So what better film to watch than that than 1980 slasher called New Year's Evil, which <laughs> Tim and I have not seen, but I can't think of a better. Sounds amazing. Can't, yeah, cannot think of a better circumstance in which to watch it. So, hope you join Rad. us for that New Year's Evil on uh, December thirty first, twenty twenty. Here we go. Cool. Great. Look forward to that. Great. Well, until then, Tim. I, I mean, you can find us. Not talking to you, Tim. I'm talking to you listening. You can find us wherever you found us if you're still here. Uh, please tell a like-minded friend should you think they enjoy this. Either way, though, we do mean it. Thank you so, so much for being here. We wish you a happiest season. Yes. Happy all the holidays. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha,